This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Thank you. God bless you. Wow. I love this church. I love your pastors, Pastor Tom and Pastor Candy. I always feel at home when I'm here in Fort Lauderdale. I don't know. God might be doing something. Y'all pray for me, all right? Pray for me. If the Lord said, come to Fort Lauderdale, I'm already there. I got a G on one shoulder and an O on another one. But you got to pray for the lady at home, Judy, okay? Because he's got to say the same thing to her. Uh, I love that woman. Let me tell you something about her. Uh, we've been married for 36 years. Next year will be 37. Uh, I wouldn't imagine life with anybody else other than her. I met her when I was 19 years old. I was a new believer in Christ, and uh, she was 18. And so we have been dating for 42 years, married 36. Uh, but this woman, her, her, her maternal grandfather is full-blood Irish. Or they're, they're all gone to heaven. Her maternal grandmother was Cherokee Indian and an African-American woman. Her, her father was a black man from Mississippi. So I got me a vanilla caramel chocolate with whipped cream and cinnamon sprinkles on top. I'm telling you, I'm a blessed man. <laughs> so excited to share the word of God with you today. If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, please join me in going to the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. In verse 11, it reads, And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for this encounter with you today. Thank you for the people that are in this place and the people that are watching uh, digitally or online. We are all here by a divine appointment to encounter you. Help us to discover you and the many facets that you are, Lord. There's much, much more of you that we don't know. I pray, Father, that your word would help to do that today. And help us, through your word, Lord, to respond in such a way that we become more like you. We give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I was reading online about the worst neighborhoods in Fort Lauderdale. 
I'm not from here. You are. You know where they are. So this is not me, but this is some experts saying that Dillard Park is one of those places. Poinciana Park, West Lauderdale. And it had, ten, it had 10 names, and I won't mention them all. I'm sure you're already thinking of some, some location. But let me just let you know that Jesus is not afraid of those places. Our text tells us that he was not afraid to walk through Samaria. That he was on his way to Jerusalem, and most God-fearing Jews would go around Samaria, but Jesus went right on through. He's not afraid of Samaria. I want to take you to Samaria for a moment, and I, and I don't want you to necessarily turn in your Bibles, but in John chapter 4, there's a woman that he encounters at a well in the city of Samaria. And, and the well represents places like Dillard Park, Poinciana Park, West Lauderdale. God wants to take his people to the well because there's a people there in that place that he wants to love on. The well is an uncommon place. It's a place that takes us outside of our comfort zone. It's a place that we encounter people that have been despised, that have been alienated, people like the Samaritan woman. The Samaritans were looked down on by the Jews. In fact, they were seen as dogs. They were even called dogs. And I love Jesus because many times throughout Scripture, he weaves in stories about encounters with Samaritans and how God loves them. Jesus was mandated to go to Samaria. The Scripture says that he had to go there because there was a woman that he needed to encounter. And while he was there, he sent his disciples into the city to buy some food. Now, I want you to imagine with me the disciples. These are, these are good Jewish boys. But they've been given an assignment to go into the city of Samaria to buy some food. And, and I'm sure it was an assignment that they didn't want. When we were kids, we used to play this game, uh, Don't Step on the Crack. Y'all remember that game? And you would walk and you would just try to maneuver around the crack. Well, see, the, the disciples are on this assignment. They're going into Samaria. But Jews literally despised Samaritans so much that if the shadow of a Samaritan fell upon you, you felt unclean. And I can imagine the disciples walking, trying not to allow a shadow to fall on them. I can imagine them going into a shop and encountering a shopkeeper and, and, and doing the exchange of their money for whatever food goods. And, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but sometimes people despise you so much that they don't want to touch your hand when they're making a transaction. So they'll drop the money into your hand. Am I the only one? <laughs> the, the Jews despised the Samaritans so much even that when it came to being a woman that religious pharisaical men would pray Lord I thank you that I'm a Jew and that I'm not a Gentile I'm not an imbecile and I thank you that I'm not a woman they believed that Samaritan women were ceremonially unclean, that they had a perpetual menstrual cycle. Not just the, the normal cycle, but because they were Samaritans, they were unable to worship God. And when we treat people in that way, there is a mentality that they begin to take on. 
There is a psyche that forms within their soul, and their psyche is, well, if you believe that about me, that's the way I'm going to act. I'm going to show you a fulfillment of your own prophecy. There's a hardness and a callousness of their heart that develops, and consequently, that person can spiral into a behavior that is self-destructive, where they begin to look for love in all the wrong places. And I believe that's what happened to this Samaritan woman. I believe that's why she had five husbands in her life and she was working on number six when she encountered Jesus. And so she comes to the well, this Samaritan woman comes to the well at the sixth hour of the day at 12 o'clock noon, the the hottest point of the day when she was sure that nobody would be there because she didn't want to encounter anybody. She didn't feel like having any conversation. She didn't want anybody else looking down on her. I'm sure she came to the well with an attitude, I better not see anybody, and they better not say anything to me. I'll cut somebody today. (laughs) Tired of people talking about me, despising me, criticizing my lifestyle. The last person she expected to encounter was a man, and a Jewish man at that, and even a man named Jesus. But instead of Jesus bringing up the woman's sins, he focuses on her strengths. He says to her, you got something that I need. Can you give me a drink of water? And she gets into a conversation with Jesus that really begins to transform her life. God wants to take his people to the well. He didn't come to that well to, to talk about the woman's stuff. He knew about her marriages, but he wanted to bring her into a relationship with the Father. He affirms her by asking her for a cup of water. He says, I see you. You might have been treated like you were of no value and that you were not even the image of God. But listen, God has a plan for your life. He wants to take Christian life center to the well. He wants to take you to those dark and dangerous places, those despised places and people. So he enters into this village, the text tells us, and there were 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Now, the reason that they stood afar off was because of what's what's known as the law of the leper. When you were a leper, you, you you were diagnosed with an incurable skin disease, and it was believed that if you had this disease, if you touched anybody else physically, that that leprosy would be contagious and transferred to them. And so you had to stand off at a distance from people. In fact, you had to leave your family leave your wife, your children, leave your job, leave society, leave everything that you love, and you were isolated. Your only friends became other lepers. You were destined to beg and eventually die for your living. And if anybody approached you, this was pre-COVID when we are doing social distancing. If anybody approached you, you lived a life of social distancing that you had to cry out, unclean! That was your identity. I'm unclean. These 10 men were living the law of the leper. Leviticus chapter 14 tells us that because of this law, that if if any of them were healed, they had to go and show themselves to the priest. And the priest would have them stripped down without any clothing and from a distance would inspect them. Talk about degrading. He would inspect them to see if there were any more spots or blemishes or leprosy upon their body. And if there was no more leprosy, then he would command them to go and wash themselves and wash their clothes and and offer up a sacrifice of birds and other animals 
and then isolate themselves for seven more days, and then they could be pronounced clean and they can go back to their normal life. They were separated from society. Let me just share this with you all today, that we have some modern-day lepers. There's people all around us that are separated from God and separated from people. People separated because of their, their racial identity. God chose the, the ethnicity and the skin tone and the gender. People are, are, are modern-day lepers because of their gender. People are even modern-day lepers because of their sexual orientation. Don't shout me down, y'all, but I'm just telling you. Their only friends become those who are familiar and common with their pain and their struggle. Modern-day lepers. Single folks are often treated like modern-day lepers. Single women especially, treated by the married women. Because married women might think, she's trying to get my husband. So they're alienated, they're isolated. What often happens is that these groups, they unite. They form solidarity. They, 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 they form a family. They become united in their pain, united in their struggle. Listen, if we're going to die, let's die together. If we're going to struggle, let's, let's struggle together. In the church, we call that fellowship. <laughs> what a fellowship. What a joy divine. We call it fellowship because, yeah, we're, we're alienated from the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. We have a common struggle. We have a common Savior. And whether your ancestors came to this nation on the Santa Maria, the Pinta, the Mayflower, whether they came on a ship through New York Harbor where Lady Liberty stands with her torch saying, give me your tired, give me your huddled masses yearning to breathe free air, or whether your ancestors came across the Canadian border or the Mexican border, or whether they were indigenous to this land. If you're under the banner of the blood of Jesus, you're my brother and my sister. I don't care what kind of ship you came over. We're in the same ship now, and it's called the fellowship of Jesus. We're in the world, but not of the world. We're called to be united called to have a solidarity. And, and so these 10 lepers, they united. They became friends. And they had hope when they heard that Jesus was coming through their, their town. Can you imagine the, the only conversation they had with anybody in public was unclean, but when they hear about Jesus, they call out, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord. They united their voices crying out, and Jesus heard them. Jesus, from a distance, just says, go, show yourselves to the priest. Fulfill the law of the leper is what he's saying. And the scripture tells us that as they went, they were healed. You know what the key to our salvation is? It's obedience plus grace. <laughs> you know what the key to your healing is? It's obedience plus grace. As they went, obedience, and because he said go, they were healed. Jesus literally gave these 10 men their lives back, reunited them with their spouses, reunited them with their children, reunited them on a job, reunited them to society. He gave them their very... Isn't that what he did for you and me? 
that, that we were just lepers separated from God, but he came and he gave us our lives back. Somebody ought to give him praise this morning. <laughs> That's what one of them did. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And again, Jesus says he was a Samaritan. Jesus often uses Samaritans to teach us lessons. He uses a Samaritan woman who has a sick child who refuses to, be in, to, to let insult and let uh, indifference to, to, to prevent her from getting her miracle. Jesus calls, calls her a dog. <laughs> she says, yes, my Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the tables. I refuse to allow insult in this, in this world where people are so easily offended to keep me from the blessing of God. He uses the Samaritan... So he uses the Samaritan that, that's on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho that finds a man who's beaten and, to, and, and robbed and left for dead, picks him up, puts him on his own animal, pours oil in his wound, takes him to the inn, pulls out his own wallet, pays for the man's care and says, if there's more that's needed when I come back, I'll pay for that. He uses a Samaritan woman at a well. And even here, he uses a Samaritan to try to teach us an attitude of gratitude. came back with thanks and Jesus says wait a minute weren't there ten who were healed where are the other nine but only one has come back a stranger a Samaritan and Jesus says to him arise go your way your faith has made you whole has it ever happened to you where you sacrificed time energy, money, reputation to help somebody out and they didn't even have the, the mind to say thank you. <laughs> that hurts. That makes you want, not want to do anything again for them. I'm just, maybe it's just me, but I'm like, okay, you're ungrateful. I won't do that again. One of the early lessons my parents taught me was gratitude, right? And it's often with, with little kids. When, when somebody gives them a piece of candy or somebody gives them a dollar, the kid's so just amazed by the dollar, they're looking at it, mom has to tap them and say, now what do you say? Oh, y'all know my mama? <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. And you look back at the dollar, right? <laughs> Lord has to do that with us many times. I've got a question for you. Which leper are you like? Are you like the nine? It's just, just, just grateful that you're healed, that you forget to come back and say thank you? Or are you like the one who came back with worship and thanks and praise and fell at the feet of Jesus? As I was reading this scripture, I asked the Lord the question because it became personal to me. You know, Peter, I love Peter because Peter was so real and so authentic with Jesus. You know, whatever was on Peter's mind, he said it. One day, Peter asked Jesus the question, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Now, Peter already had a number in mind. Like, I'm going to forgive him at least seven times. And he said, Lord, should I forgive him seven times? Jesus says, no, not seven, 70 times seven. 
In other words, as often as they mess up, have an attitude of grace to forgive because that's how God treats us. And so I just say, well, if Peter could ask the Lord some questions, I'm going to ask the Lord some questions. I say, Lord, why do I still have to give to people who are ungrateful? How many times should I help them out without them saying thank you? The Lord said, don't focus on whether or not they appreciate you or not. Heal them anyway. Love them anyway. Serve them anyway. Because that's what I do. Don't focus on the nine who didn't come back. They all need healing. They all need a touch from God. Why? This is the revelation I got. It's because wholeness in our souls is formed in the context of gratitude. Wholeness comes from gratitude. There are a lot of people that are like Lazarus. They might be, they might be alive, but they're still bound. They're saved, but they still got shackles, right? There are a lot of people who are saved, but are not living with an attitude of gratitude. In other words, their souls are not whole. They're saved, but not whole. Because wholeness comes from gratitude. There were 10 lepers that were healed, but only one was made whole. Only one of them had their souls transformed. Healing is a matter of the physical body, but wholeness touches your soul. Causes me to ask the question, what does wholeness look like? <laughs> and how do I get there? Wholeness is a condition that affects your soul. The soul is our mind, what we think. Wholeness in, in the soul is, is our emotions, what we feel. And, and the soul is our will, what I want to do. And there are a lot of believers that need wholeness in their soul because they're not thinking <laughs> the way the Lord thinks. They're not feeling the way the Lord feels. They, they don't want to do what the Lord wants to do. They need their souls to be made whole. When your soul is whole, that rhymes, doesn't it? Go ahead and tweet that, a whole soul. When your soul is whole, you're not living with comparisons anymore. You're not comparing yourself with somebody else's spirituality or somebody else's giftedness or somebody else's accomplishments in life. When your soul is made whole, you're, because wholeness breaks you and gratitude sets you free from all of that. When you're whole, you get a new perspective. You start seeing things through the eyes of God. And I'm not talking about positive self-esteem strategies. I'm not talking about positive self-help. I'm talking about seeing things through the cross, through the eyes of God. When you see things through the eyes of God, it's then that you understand what Paul meant in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, when he says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Can I, can I let y'all know that my oldest brother passed away three weeks ago unexpectedly of a heart attack? I thank God in death. I don't thank God for his death. 
I, I'm not thankful for death, but in death, I can give God thanks. In bad times, I don't, I don't thank God for bad times, or I don't want the bad times, but when they come in them, I can give him thanks. Give thanks in everything. It gives you a new perspective. You start seeing things through God's eyes. You, you see them through the cross. When you see things from God's eyes, you see the glass as half full, not half empty. People whose souls are not whole, they, they see the glass as half empty. They wonder, where's the rest of my water? Who took the half of my water? But when, you, when you're seeing it with an attitude of gratitude, you're like, Lord, thank you for this half a glass of water. You are the source of all living water. Then anytime I want more, all I got to do is just tap in. Because I got a new perspective. When you see things through the cross, you, you see Jesus who bled and who was beaten and who was falsely accused and lied upon and was spat upon and beard was ripped out and a crown of thorns placed upon his head and, and he's hanging upon the cross and you say, Lord, thank you for the cross. Because of the cross, what happened to Jesus, I can now call it Good Friday. <laughs> it wasn't good for him, but because of it, I can give him thanks. I tell you, my mother, she was tapping me on the shoulder. What do you say? What do you say? Thank you, thank you. And I didn't get it right away. I didn't learn to be grateful until I was about 12 years old and I started playing a lot of basketball and I joined a basketball team. And I was like, Mama, I need a new pair of tennis shoes. <sighs> they didn't have Air Jordans back then when I was growing up. We had PF Flyers. I'm dating myself. And mama took me down the street to a store called Spartan Atlantic. It was a couple of notches below Walmart. She said, son, I'm going to get you some tennis shoes. She took me into Spartan Atlantic, and I went in there. I said, mama, they don't have the name brand shoes in here that everybody else on the team have. What we in here for? We're in the wrong store, she said, son. This is the best that we can do. Go over there and pick you out a pair of shoes. Picked out a pair of PF flyers. Went up to the counter. She paid for them. She was trying to teach me to be grateful. She was trying to help my soul to be whole. You know, some of us are so ungrateful because we have so much privilege around us. We have... We have 55-inch flat screens in every room in the house. And we leave it on when we leave the room and go into the other. We got, a we got the TVs on so we don't miss anything, right? You just go from room to room and just pick up the show right where it left off, right? We have so much privilege that some parents today don't look at anybody, but they prepare three meals a day. I'm not talking about breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, for dinner, there's three meals. You got three choices. Kids like, Mama, I don't like mac and cheese. I want pizza. Okay, I got some pizza for you. What do you want? Well, I want a steak. Okay, I got a steak for you. Well, what do you want? I want some fried chicken. Well, I'm going to go out and get you some KFC, all right? I'm telling you, when I grew up, there was one meal on the table. You can eat if you want to. <laughs> right? And I had three older brothers, and they was hoping that I didn't like what Mama put on the table. It was like, that's more for me. 
That's how I learned gratitude. That's how mama helped my soul to become whole. When we get whole, we become less of a taker and more of a giver. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, right? When you become whole, you become an investor, not a consumer. We got too many, uh, we got too many folks in the church that are consumers. Come to the church with an attitude, what they got for me today? Instead of what can I give? What can I give to the Lord? What can I give to my leadership? What can I give to my community? Consumers are never satisfied. They never get enough. They always want more. They want the latest. They want the newest. They want the best. They want more and more and more. You got a hole in your soul that the Lord wants to heal. And you know you're healed when you start acting more like Jesus. Because Jesus was generous. Jesus was generous. He didn't hold back anything. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself. He gave everything that he had. We serve a generous God. He's extravagant with his love. Come on, we, we see it in the midst of creation. I'm so glad that God just didn't make one type of flower. He made millions of designs and patterns and different types of birds. I'm so glad that he made different types of ethnicities and colors because he's an extravagant God. And he wants us to be like him. Wholeness in the soul is formed in the context of gratitude. Gratitude breaks us free from a sick, leaking soul. God says when people are ungrateful, love them anyway. Heal them anyway. Give to them anyway. Serve them anyway. But there's another thing that was difficult for me, and I say, Lord, what about people who have been unkind to me and hurt me? God said, forgive them. The one leper came back with gratitude with his hands raised. But the Lord says, listen, when you forgive people, it's as if you are extending your hands that have been hurt and you're releasing them. Let them go, he says. What forgiveness does is that it breaks you free from bitterness. Wholeness, uh, gratitude breaks you free from an unhealthy soul, but forgiveness breaks you free from bitterness. You don't want to be bound in your soul. You don't, want, you don't want to be bound to the person who wrongs you. Forgiveness delivers you. That's why in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured out to you again. The Lord says the blessing of you forgiving and releasing others is that God blesses you. He releases you. I believe that today God wants to, he wants to heal us physically, but even more so, he wants to make us whole in our souls. He wants to give you an attitude of gratitude. He wants to, to bless you and give you more, but your hands are still holding on to the person that hurt you. Your hands are still holding the person guilty who wronged you, who falsely accused you, who abused you, who lied upon you. 
who betrayed you and God says, release them. Because when you release them, now your hands are free so I can give you more. And when you release them, now he wants you to turn your hands up to receive. <laughs> and when you receive, it's not so you can consume it upon yourself. It's so that you can be generous. That's why in that same text he says, give and it shall be given unto you. And the way that God gives, I told you his love is extravagant. It's good measure. <laughs> it's with extra and that which is, which is given, he presses it down so he can make room for more. Because he's a God who wants to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you won't have room to receive. And after he presses it down, he shakes it together so that all the air pockets are empty so he can put even more so that it runs over. God wants you to live not on leftovers but on the overflow. He wants to take you from a place of not enough, not just to a place of just enough, but a place of more than enough. But it starts with your soul being made whole by gratitude. It's this posture. Lord, I thank you for saving me. Oh, can, can you just stand on your feet with me right now? Can, can we just practice this? before the Lord. In fact, I want to open up the altars if you feel comfortable in coming and, and just expressing your, your gratitude to the Lord with your hands. Lord, I thank you. You gave me my life back. Who am I talking to this morning? Lord, you gave me my life back. Oh, God, thank you. Did he give you your life back? If there's somebody that's real grateful to the Lord, would you just come and flood this altar right now? If there's somebody that is hurting today and you need to forgive somebody, I want you to come with a posture like this. Lord, they hurt me. God, I'm, I'm still feeling the pain. I still got the wounds. I still got the scars. It's a tender spot. I can't think about it. I can't talk to them right. But when you come to this altar, God wants you to release them. Release them. He wants you to release them. And then the last thing he wants us to do with our hands lifted, with our hands extended, is that he wants us to be generous. Because generosity breaks us free from stinginess. Come on, as you're coming this morning, as you're worshiping the Lord, come on, let's sing glory to God. Let's sing unto the Lord. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after It's running after me. When my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. So your goodness is running out. It's running out to me. Your goodness is, your goodness is running out. It's running out to me. Your goodness is running out. With my life laid down, with my life laid down, I surrender now, I give you
I'm gonna say I'm gonna sing of the goodness of God. Come on, one more time. Say, all my life you have. All my life you have been faithful. Yes, you have, Lord. All my life you have. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath. With every breath that I have made. Oh, God, I'm gonna sing of God. Put your hands lifted up. Just open up your mouth and just begin to thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his goodness. Thank you, Lord, you are good. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for giving us our lives back, Lord. Thank you for redeeming us, for saving us. Thank you for protecting us, God. God, we choose an attitude of gratitude today, God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm Lord of the goodness of God. Oh, I'm gonna say, thank you, God, of the goodness of God. I'm gonna say, of the goodness thank you, God. of God. I recognize that in an environment like this, that when we're wounded, when we're hurt, it is hard to express gratitude to the Lord. Sometimes it's hard to say thanks in death. Thank you in sickness. Thank you in divorce. Thank you in betrayal. Thank you in job transition. But come on, God wants you to give thanks in all things. But this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. If you're here this morning and you are carrying a wound that is turned into bitterness, somebody has hurt you, just extend your hands like this, and on the count of three, we're going to let it go. We're going to let it go so that our souls can be healed. One, two, you gotta let him let him go let him go we choose forgiveness bitterness is gone that wound the pain is gone I have a scar to remind me of the goodness of God but the, the pain I'm releasing the person who hurt me now with those same hands, turn them up. Turn them up. Turn them up because the attitude of gratitude comes with generosity. Give and it shall be given unto you, says the Lord. God, what do you require of me? God says, give me everything. <laughs> give me everything. I don't just want a tenth. I want it all. I don't just want a tithe. I want you. With your hands extended, you're saying, Lord, I give you me. 
Come on, open up your mouth and just tell the Lord, I'm giving you me. Giving you me, Lord. I'm not holding anything back. I'm giving you me. Give you everything. Your goodness is Give you everything, Lord. Give you everything, Lord. My life laid down now. I give you everything. I give you everything, Lord. Your goodness <laughs> is running down. It's running oh, down. I feel the attitude of gratitude rising in this house today. Now, I give you everything. If you're here and you've never yet your given your life to Jesus. If you've never made Jesus the Lord and the master of your life, if you're watching online and you've never given Jesus everything, it starts with giving him your heart, your mind, your body, your soul. Just like this, Lord, I give you everything. I give you my sins and I take your righteousness. I give you my unfaithfulness and I take your, your strength, oh God. I give you my confusion and I take your mind. I give you my sickness and I take your wholeness. I give you everything. All because of what you did on the cross for me. <laughs> Come on, let's sing that again. It's goodness, it's goodness. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening, and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.